welcome back to the New York Pages podcast in partnership with Inside the Rink. I'm your host, Jacob Berkowitz, and I'm alongside my co-host, Raggy. Today, we'll be talking with Drew. His Twitter's at Drew Way. He's from Blue Shirts Breakaway. We'll be talking about preseason player analysis, predictions, and the 2023 draft, which the first round pick we got from Niels Lundqvist. Who could we pick with it? But first, a quick word from our show sponsor, and then we'll get right to it. And now a quick word from our show sponsor and friends of Inside the Rink. Bet US. Bet US has your NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines for the 27th year of live betting. Sign up for BETUS.com with promo code RINK for a 125% sign up bonus. Again, use promo code RINK for your 125% sign up bonus. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry. Bet US. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. And we are back. We're with Drew A. Drew, how's it going? It's all good, guys. Uh, you know, same thing, different day here, with the exception that my wife's due with baby number two literally any day now. So uh, all good on our end. How about you guys? How are you doing? Uh, doing doing really well. Uh, yeah. Really, really well. I know, yeah, we had a few scheduling conflicts. I'm glad uh, we're finally uh, able to do this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Of course. Um, so, yeah, a lot has happened. Um, obviously some disappointing things, some very positive things. And I figured we'd start off, you know, the latest news is that Othman was sent down. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are disappointed by this. Some people are like, this is to be expected. What's your take on this? Yeah, it was to be expected. I mean, I didn't think there was really a legit, a legitimate spot for him, you know, on this team. Gallant said a few times now that, he doesn't want, you know, his young prospects in the fourth line. And for the most part, I think he's stuck to that. You know, we can quibble a lot about other usage traits of his and whatnot, but um, he has stuck to the fact that he doesn't like putting, you know, young kids on the fourth line. And so then when you're looking at the top nine, like, you know, who is he replacing? And the Rangers top nine is pretty set. And on top of that, you know, Othman's still, you know, young and has quite a bit to learn and quite a bit to learn and has, you know, still has to fill out his body and stuff like that. So I thought it was pretty inevitable. I never had any expectation that he was going to make the team this year. It sucks that he can't go to Hartford. I think, you know, ideally speaking, he'd be in Hartford, but because of the agreement with the CHL and because how young he still is, uh, you know, the options were play with the Rangers or play with the you know uh Windsor and yep so he's back down in the OHL now is it possibly that this was influenced by uh cap reasons I know hockey hockey stat minor mentioned that the contract slides to the next year and with all the cap problems that the Rangers have the fact that they could get a potential top nine forward for you know I believe 800,000 it's definitely enticing to you know to push that off is that you think that had an influence on the decision or no, I, I think that's like a happy, um, you know, like a silver lining of this, uh, you know, situation. But I don't think they had any influence on the on the decision. Um, jury's been pretty open about how Gallant has, you know, more or less, you know, full reign over what the roster and the lineup is. Um, so I think it just came down to kind of what I was saying before. Again, you know, who's he replacing? Like he's not going to beat out Sammy Blake, and that's perhaps the one guy that people take issue with constantly being in the top nine. And as much as great as, you know, as good as he is of a prospect and how much, you know, we've been happy with his development, like he's not better than Vitaly Krasov right now. And so you, I just, I just think it simply came down to, there's no spot for him on this roster. Right. I mean, on the other hand, with a roster that had, especially two questionable bottom lines, I felt like Offman maybe had a chance actually to be tried out at least, but it seems like it was a more of a practical side to keep him off the team. 
and less of a actual winning side where they felt like Othman wasn't going to make us right now. Better team was more to check out if he's good. And this goes back to something we discussed really last year of developing in in when it comes to the the difference between developing and trying to win a game, right? When you're trying to win, you don't want to actually have to focus on trying to develop all your players at the same time. So my question to you is, is exactly what is their plan with him? With a guy that has been dominating down low, is he someone that they feel in you know two years is meant to be a high top six or are they slowly developing him and which we're not giving another chance to one of our prospects that maybe we're leaving him alone and we should really be keeping him up to giving him a chance and not leaving him down there. Well, the Rangers are pretty good with, um, they have tons of scouts and developmental people and people that you don't even know about that are out there and working with folks, regardless of the league they're in. And so I, I, I know for a fact, that you know the Rangers have close eyes on him in Windsor and perhaps have somebody on the payroll with him or at least advising him down in Windsor to make sure that in addition to doing whatever he needs to do for his OHL team that he's also doing certain workouts and stuff like that and certain developmental programs for the Rangers so I you know I'd say I I agree with you that you know part you know this is a win now team the Rangers made the conference finals last year and they're you know a good at this time last year right now the roster is better right now than it was this time last year you know you can argue obviously after the trade deadline last year when they went out and they got cop and you know they got uh you know the, the cast of characters that they got at the deadline last year you know that was probably a better team than this one right now development of the young kids aside um but this is certainly a better team right now than this team you know preseason last year and so it's certainly a win now team they certainly want to win this year rack up as much points as they can get and be in the best possible scenario for the playoffs and you know but to your point like you know they're fine with developing a bit when it's if it's development of an nhl player already but clearly they had questions as to whether or not you know he really is nhl ready yet and they're gonna it seems like they're playing it cautious with him like hey go back down to windsor continue to do the developmental stuff that the rangers have for him especially like off ice lifting weights things like that getting stronger you know, I think they're happy with his skill level. They're happy with his work ethic. They love his character. And it's just a matter of continuing to develop his body and develop his hockey mind and going from there. Um, I, I felt like like with Othman, Othman when you sent down, I don't know if it's just me and, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I've noticed that when Rangers prospects, their fundamentals uh, are grown somewhere else besides the Rangers. They're you know, when they come over, they they do very, very well. Rather, when the Rangers try to grow their fundamentals here, like Fox, uh, Miller, uh, those type of players, I don't know, just for me, have, you know, fundamentally, you know, in college and all that. And when they came over, they were more, you know, developed. Is that do, do you agree with that? You see that or? Is, I mean, I think there's a part of it. I think that Quinn was a terrible developmental coach. And I think that a lot of the issues we've seen with the high end forwards that we have developing at the NHL is a struggle with, you know, Quinn, you know, I think really hurt both Kako and Lafreniere and, you know, the defensemen have done well. And, you know, yes, like Fox developed elsewhere. Keandre, I I would say is in the middle. Like I think this team did well by Keandre. Ryan Lingren is someone who, when he came over from Boston, he was like kind of a throw in in that Nash deal. 
he was someone that, hey, you know, at best he'll be a third line, you know, defensive defenseman, all that. And I think I, I think the Rangers have done a really nice job with developing a lot of their defensemen. Schneider didn't really develop. I mean, he was just in, you know, the WHL for a year, came over and made an impact, you know, pretty quickly. So I think it's more that the Rangers, for whatever reason, seem to be better at developing their defensive prospects than their forward prospects. And, and you know, part of that is, you know, power play usage. Like this team, since, you know, for a few years now, like has been pretty set at the top forward spots. You got Savanajad, you got Kreider, you got Panarin. And then, so there's just not as much room to kind of give these kids like, you know, a, you know, a super long leash and let them do their thing. And also I think both coaches, Quinn and Gallant with their forwards, especially have a little bit of, this is our system. This is the way we want you to play. And that I think comes into uh, you know, really impact someone like Hako and Lafreniere when these are elite, elite talents. And when you have someone that talented, like the best thing to do for them is let them play their game. You don't try to force them into your system. They're uber talented kids. Let them do their thing. But instead, they've been trying to adapt their game to the Rangers as opposed to just playing their game. And I think one thing that's one of the reasons why that third line, that kid line last year in the playoffs took off. It's because Hedl, Lafreniere, and Ka- and uh, Kaka were able to just kind of do their thing and play together and not have the the mindset of I have to defer to Zabanajad or defer to Kreider, defer to Panarin, or try to fit what they're doing. And so that I think that really has a lot to do with it. It's just the fact that the Rangers have had these top forwards for a while now, and the kids have been, whether it's they did it themselves or they've been told to try to adapt to the other high-end forwards, where on defense, that's never really been the thing. And, you know, Fox just took off immediately and now has established himself as a top five defenseman in the NHL. But, you know, when he joined, like, I mean, I was huge on Fox. I was saying to go trade for Fox when he was still in Calgary um, because I thought he was that, you know, that, that talented. But he, you know, came in and played his game as opposed to trying to adapt to some sort of specific structure, whereas you can tell the forwards are more trying to fit in than kind of just be themselves. Right. The the, the defensive structure, I think, in general on this Ranger team has not in, in, in specific been the problem. When we look at their games that they've played, they've played so powerful at some of those positions with Miller and Fox and Lindgren. I mean, we, I could bring up game after game last year, which I think our defense saved us a lot of times, uh, especially with guys like Lindgren's physicality and the way he's just not scared to go after players, how Miller's developing into such a player of a two-way player offensively and defensively. Then you look at the bottom lines and you say to yourself, okay, so we have guys that could fit in. A guy like Zach Jones, who has shown us last year that he could really be paired well, number one with with Schneider. That looked very well, especially with the way that Zach Jones, the prom, one of the problems that we had last year was entering the puck into the offensive zone, getting it out. He was actually pretty good at that. And he has shown that he could be uh, very, very, very good for us on the defensive side and help us with the offensive side, especially with the five and five being a weak spot last year. Is Zach Jones someone that 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 really should be getting ahead of most players into that pairing at the bottom of the defensive? Yeah, ahead of the current prospects we have, yes, especially because the Rangers are big on handedness on defense. They like the righties to play the right side, the lefties to play the left side. Um, it's funny, like what you described, what the Rangers need, that's Nils Lundqvist. Like Nils Lundqvist has for some reason gotten typecast as this 
by a lot of the fan base as an offensive defenseman, a power play quarterback. That's not really who he is. He's actually a two-way mobile transitional defenseman. Um, he, his game is a lot more like Anton Strawman's, honestly, than, say, Adam Fox in terms of his strength is the transition game. Like, yes, he, he can play uh, – he can quarterback or power play, mainly because he's got a really good shot for someone who's as small as he is. And he's He's got good offensive instincts, but he's also a good defensive defenseman as well. Um, but the problem with Lundqvist was he's a righty. And I've spoken to a scout on the Rangers, and they feel that, you know, on the right side, you got Fox, you got Truba. They're not going anywhere. And as much as people love to pretend that Truba is some defensive defenseman, he's not. And the Rangers know he's not. Um, he is more offensive than defensive, hence why he's on the second power play unit. He just hits. And because he hits, a lot of fans think that means, oh, he's a defensive defenseman. He's not. He's always been an offensive defenseman. He's been that way his whole career. He's better in the offensive zone than the defensive zone. The tape shows it. The analytics show it. Um, and so because of that, you have Schneider, who actually is a defensive defenseman. And it, what the scout told me was – the, at least his view is Lundqvist is every bit as good as Schneider, if not better, but Schneider is more the fit that the team wants. And, and, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, like fit and skill set, you know, skill set fit and mixes and stuff like that is very important. And so I don't necessarily blame them for looking at Schneider and saying, this is more the type of player we want on the third pair on the right side. But because of that, that's why like Lundqvist just didn't have a spot. Whereas Zach Jones is a lefty. And because of that, he's got a much easier time of making the team because he plays that left side. Were there any uh, prospects in training camp that kind of disappointed you at all or everything was expected? Uh, I mean, it was more or less as expected. I mean, I thought I was hoping that Kratzoff would pop a little bit more. Um, I'm very confident that in his ability, he he's done nothing but kill it when he plays. And like, yes, there's lots of issues with how he's handled certain things. And there's lots of issues with how the Rangers have handled him. And, you know, really is a two-way street there where I think, you know, part of that situation was him. Part of it was the Rangers as well. Um, but no, I mean, I would say, I wouldn't say anyone really disappointed me so much. I will say though, that Rydall did everything I thought he would. Like when we signed him in the offseason, season, I said like, this is a the guy they want to be the fourth line center. He's big and he has decent hands at a killer shot. And on top of that, like he's not just big and tough, but he's also an agitator. He's got that Brad Marchand in him where if you watch him in the SHL, like when he pisses off the, the opponents and then the opponents react, he laughs in their face. But the difference is, is right. All is six foot three, 200 something pounds. Whereas Marchand is what, like five ten, you know, two one ninety sopping wet. And, and so it, it's, he is exactly the kind of player that the Rangers want as their fourth line center. And I'm sure he was made, he was given some sort of, I don't want to say assurance, but you know, there's a reason why he decided to come over and try to win a spot with the Rangers, as opposed to just continue to have a guaranteed spot in the SHL. And they get paid pretty nicely in the SHL too. It's not like this, it's a huge, huge money difference, you know, coming here on a minimum contract as opposed to playing in the SHL and thriving. And I, I think that he's done everything in the in the in you know training camp in the preseason that I think the Rangers wanted out of him. And I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him make the team. What about um one I noticed was William Cully? Um, Cooley. Will Cooley. Cooley. Cooley, sorry. Cooley, yeah. Cooley. I I mean, I'm not, you know, a massive prospect guy where I know my stuff, but I was kind of disappointed because I thought, you know, he could possibly fit in that fourth line. Because usually you don't want to put your prospects right in the bottom six because you're hoping like that's not enough time. But if Will Cooley, you know, is 
his potential is in the bottom six, you know, that's when you allow it. But I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I guess he was slightly disappointing, especially because he's got an NHL body already. So you thought maybe that would allow him to more naturally transition into it. But again, it's like he was just playing against teenagers, you know, in the CHL. And he was able to use his physicality as a huge tool there, whereas now he's still a big, strong guy, but it's going to take a little while for someone like him and someone with his skill set and someone who relies on their physicality and size as much as he does to adjust the, to the NHL game. So I wasn't too, too surprised by that. Um, I do know that there were some that did think that he could at least fight for a spot. And to your point, he's someone that they would not have minded having him play in the, the bottom line because of the way he plays and they view him as kind of a two-way guy who can also muck it up and get in front of the net and all that. But the Rangers have a lot of fourth line potential guys right now. And that's, you know, the thing that hurts him the most, like Ryan Carpenter is a good player. He's a two-way he, Ryan Carpenter is everything you want in your fourth line center is a two-way center could win face-offs. He's got a little bit of grit to him. He's got a decent amount of skill. Then you got VZ, you got, you know, still Ryan Reeves there. You got uh Barclay Goudreau there. And so it just with, with Cooley, I think it just came down to the signings they made this offseason, whether it's Rydall, whether it's um, Carpenter or some of the other guys. They're just there are too many guys ahead of him that he could, and he wasn't able to beat out some of those veterans there. So one guy that I think we've heard about in the past, you know, this past year, especially with, you know, the tension that's gone on between him and the, and the management with uh, with Kraftsoff and he looked fantastic in a lot of the, you know, the um before you know the pregame you know uh right in in those games um what are your thoughts on him in the fact that i personally when i looked at these games did not see him especially flash but he has a prove it season where he wanted them to treat him better so he has to sort of give it a prove it season do you feel like kraftsoff is actually someone that might actually surprise us this season to our next level yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's a really, really talented kid. And he's someone also who the Rangers love two-way players. Like Drury looks for guys like him who are two-way guys who also have offensive scale, who also have a bit of grit to them and all that. Um, excuse me. But yeah, he. Uh, I think Kratzoff absolutely can surprise. He's got the size. He's got the skill. He's got the speed. His hands are unbelievable. His hockey sense is pretty strong. And Kratzoff is, is one of the guys that I'm circling as like, if the Rangers are going to go from being a team in the playoffs that you don't want to face to a true cup contender, and I get it, they made the Eastern Conference Finals last year, but I think that was a shock to most of us, right? Um, but I think if the, if the Rangers are going to make the next step and be a true, true cup contender, top-tier team, Kratzoff is just as important as anyone else. I was uh, a couple of weeks, I think it was like a week ago, uh, I was speaking to you about like, you know, lines, not, you don't have all your top guys on one line. It's mm-hmm. not how it works. You kind of more go of skill set rather than just best player, like a, with a, a sniper, with a playmaker, with a four checker. Do you agree with the go off assessment that Kraftsoff should be on Panarin's line? I know there's a lot of like people saying that Panarin, you know, gets what he like Panarin ch- decides his wingers, but do you think that it's a good idea to have Kraftsoff or I thought maybe a guy like Kako kind of fit more on that line. Yeah, I think I think it's worth giving both a shot, to be honest. The, this is the time of year where, like, let like, try things out, you know? You know what worked last year, right? And so early on in the season, I'm totally fine with trying different combinations and seeing if anything 
clicks, anything meshes, anything stands out that you didn't realize was the solution. I know like Greg at, for, from Blue Shift Breakaway has said before, we're like, this is the time of year where you want to just get questions answered. And I think that it's totally fine to start Kratz off on that second line just to see if it works. And if it doesn't, you know, you can switch it up in a few games. I, I shouldn't say a few games, you know, give it a few weeks, I would say. But um, I think he's got the skill set. He's got the size. He's got the speed to have a shot on that line with Panarin. And the fact that, you know, him and Panarin are both Russian speakers. Panarin, by all accounts, has taken Kratzoff under his wing in this offseason. Again, I just, I think it's okay to give that a shot first. I agree with you that I think Kako is a good skill set fit for that line with Trocek and Panarin on that second line. And I'm totally fine with giving that a shot too if Kratzoff doesn't work out. But I'm not going to necessarily be upset that Kratzoff's getting that shot right now because I do think that could work as well. And to your broader point, like, yes, like when we were chatting, it was more because I was making the point that I was getting annoyed that everyone wanted Kako on the top line just because they felt he, quote unquote, deserved it or he was the best right wing or anything like that. None of which is wrong. But the point I was making was when you're make, making your lines, you need to take skill set fits into account. And so with our top line right now, we have Zibanejad, who is a shooting center, and there's not that many of them. You usually centers or playmakers. You have Austin Matthews, but you know, Zabanajad's a shooting center. He's not a playmaker. And then on the left wing, you have a net front power forward in Kreider. And then I never thought Kako was a good fit with them because Kako also is sort of a, li- a little bit redundant with Kreider, where you know he's not the in front of the net, you know, puck tipper that Kreider is. Nobody is, you know, Kreider and Joe Pavelski. That's it. That's the top tier in terms of the last 10 years in the NHL at being able to tip pucks in front of the net. But Kako and Kreider play in a lot of the same areas of the ice. And Kako isn't really a playmaker either. And so my view is if you have, you know, Kreider, the power forward net front presence, you have Zibanejad, the shooter, you need a playmaker on their line. And so I'd never thought that Kako was a good fit there. Um, and that's kind of, you know, to your point, the conversation we were having, I don't mind them trying the kid line, you know, uh, to start the season. Just the key is you got to give them ample minutes. You can't have that third line only getting, you know, 10 to 12 minutes a game. You need to roll the top three lines consistently and evenly for that to work. Do you think, um, with the skill assets that you think that Blake could be okay on that top one? Like I, I thought about it for a while. I have no problem, like you said, the kid line being, you know, the third line, as long as they get quality minutes. But however, you still have to, you know, have a really good first line. Um, I guess, like, the question is, like, do you think maybe should we put, you know, Laf, who's a playmaker on that top line and sacrifice that depth on the third line? Or you think you try out play on the right wing and then you have, you know, that essentially that dominant kid line on the third line? Yeah, I'm fine. Again, trying it out. Like, Play obviously is not your ideal top liner, but I'm thinking they're looking at him similar to when they had Jesper Foss playing up there, where he's like, he can win the board battles, he can play make a bit. You know, Blade does have a little bit more skill than I think we sometimes give him credit for. <laughs> is he the ideal right winger for that top line? No, but, but I also think that the ideal right winger for that top line does not exist on this roster. Um, so again, I'm okay giving it a shot at the beginning of the season. Um, to your point with Lafreniere, I think he actually would be a if he was her, if he was a natural right winger. I actually do think that he'd be the perfect fit there, but he's not. He's a natural left winger, and he's made it known that he likes playing left wing and he's more comfortable playing left wing. So, just given that, I, again, I'm just I'm okay giving it a shot. If it doesn't work, switch things up. 
it's not like this has to be the line for the entire season. So that's kind of just my take there. Right. I mean, laugh, laugh, definitely it in many games has shown that he's better at the, you know, a little more comfortable in the right wing. I, I mean, he's out, come out and said it himself. Right. Yeah. So, but in general, I feel like with the way our coaching staff has worked and specifically Gallant, it doesn't exactly work that way. He has his guys, he has his things. And I don't think he's such a fan. He's ever been a fan of this kid line to put them out there like that. But on the other hand, I think he's starting to come to realize maybe that there is that chemistry there. And specifically, Filipino has shown that maybe he is legit. And that's going to really, really boost the team. So maybe moving Lafarnay off that line actually hurts Heedle. It could, absolutely. And and again, it, it just comes down to, like I said before, skill set fit. How are you going to roll the line? Stuff like that. Yeah, I, I do think it's a big question. It, if Will that third line get the ice time it deserves um i'm told I, I i don't blame anyone for seriously doubting that but if they do um roll that third line again consistently you know roll the top nine with consistent minutes at even strength i think this could be a really deep and really really dangerous team and we saw in the playoffs like in the playoffs where it's supposed to be the hardest and kids can't succeed and stuff like that that kid line dominated at times and so i can't necessarily blame gallant for seeing that in the playoffs against teams like the tampa bay lightning and being like you know what let's roll this out again this year but again you know my view is give it a couple of weeks see if blake can have like that because like when yes Fast played up there with the rangers like that line always had great analytics and it's you know why it was weird having Jesper Fast up there just from a he's not that talented perspective it just he created space for the line and won the board battles and did things to, I said, create space, but I'm going to say it again. Like he did things to allow the, the ice to open up a bit for his line mates and allow to Panarin to cook and do his thing and stuff like that. And so if Sammy Blay can, you know, open up the ice a bit for Kreider and Zabanajad and create more passing lanes and win those board battles and play make a bit, then he could succeed on that line. Do I think he will? I, I don't know, but I, I'm honestly okay with at least giving it a shot. Right, especially, I mean, we discussed last year so many times when we're like, give this a shot, give that a shot, move this guy. Gallant didn't seem to really want to go there and do that. The one thing that he landed up doing, and this was something that it might have been really something headed by Drury, if, it was that Schneider showed that he was actually really able to be at the NHL level, and he was part of that whole playoff run he part of the reason why i think that kid line was so good and yeah like you said kids in the playoffs are not supposed to do well with the toughness of this team they 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 were so tough to play they were on everything they were playing you know they didn't play 60 minutes throughout the season but they were playing 60 minute hockey of toughness and part of that was was a guy like Braden schneider who came in with his uh young abilities where he was a big guy He, he was able to move faster than people thought and a guy like Braden Schneider, is, in my opinion, is one of the most underlooked players right now on the Rangers, in which you look at the top four defensemen and say, we're set. But I look deeper and I say, wow, we are actually in the depth wise, in the depth of this team is pretty is pretty deep with a guy like Schneider, who could for all you know, land up uh, sometimes on a top four or top four defense pairing. Yeah, and they're in a good spot too. And even deeper than that, like Matthew Robertson's a kid where, you know, 
he's big and so people typecast him a certain way but he's actually a pretty good skater for someone who's six four the way he is and he's a decent transitional defenseman as well and that's a key in the nhl right now is if you're going to be like the big physical defensive defenseman that's fine but you still need to be able to skate and move the puck a bit matthew robertson can do that um so the rangers are actually in a pretty good spot if they're willing to again i'm coming back to this give different things a shot but right now if you start the season with schneider jones as that last pair i think that's totally fine because again jones is the more offensive gifted guy he can freelance a bit he can move the puck schneider can kind of shield him by playing the more defensive role uh in that you know with that pair there and as long as you give them a bit of shielded minutes, like I think this team is in a good spot to succeed. Um, and to your point too, with some of the things as well, like, you know, I, I do think it's been a bit overstated how well Schneider did last year. I actually think he was a very high variance player. Whereas when you look at his games, he did really well in some games, like really, really well. And he did truly terrible in other games. Whereas, you know, he was the one that everyone thought he'd be more like the steady Eddie player. Whereas when you're looking at whether it's, you want to look at the, the tape or you want to look at the analytics Nils Lundqvist was actually the one last year who was more every game kind of just consistently okay where Schneider had some games where some games he was incredible and some games he was fucking awful and um and so it's just a matter of with Schneider bring you know bring that getting a little bit more consistency to the game and, and that'll come I mean he's young and so as he as he continues to mature as he continues to grow and it, it's funny to say that because he's already a big physical kid but he's he's what 20 maybe 21 like he will continue to put on muscle stuff like that he'll continue to think the game at a higher level and so as he continues to develop especially from a mental perspective i do think you'll see that consistency come more and if he can still have some of those high upside games but limit some of those really poor games you know he, he can be a, a really really important player for this team yeah, speaking to what you said about Nils Wunkos versus like Braden Schneider, I saw a few things like I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not the greatest of analytics, but I saw something that like, uh, first of all, Schneider was less with Nemeth than Wunkos was, which Nemeth was, as we all know, a disaster. Yeah. And I saw something into like when Wunkos was without Nemeth, he was a different player. Like mm -hmm. it, the analytics showed it also. Like he was absolutely. But what what surprised me is about the Rangers bottom uh bottom pair is that I, I figured the Rangers want a tougher, you know, bottom pair. Why are they choosing Zach Jones or Robertson? I know we all think that Zach Jones is better than Robertson, but in the Rangers' eyes, I'm saying the Rangers perspective, we've always seen, you know, more physicality on the bottom pair. Why do you think they chose Zach Jones over Robertson? You just said it because he's the better player. Well, but um, and, I'm and, saying, yeah, I'm saying like from the Rangers perspective, they don't. Yeah, I mean, I've I, I said before, you know, I, I literally spoke to a scout on the team and it's they like Matthew Robertson a lot, but they just view Zach Jones on a different tier right now. And they think that if Schneider is going to be that more defensively responsible guy, um, they think that Zach Jones could pair well with him. And if you look at their pairings, they do like doing that they like having the offensive guy with the defensive guy you got fox with uh with lingren you have keandre miller with truba and it's funny like people typecast truba as the defensive guy and miller as the offensive guy it's actually the opposite miller's far better defensively than he is offensively miller has because he's a really good skater he'll have flashes of the offensive game but just in in terms of their overall game truba is more of the offensive player and miller is really good defensively especially for someone as young as he is and that third pair again. So you got Schneider's the defensive guy and Jones is the offensive guy. The Rangers have shown that they like the pair of the offensive defenseman with the defensive defenseman and, and go that way. And, and so I do think that um, 
they have high hopes for what Schneider and Jones can do. Now, I think Jones will be on a little bit of a tight leash. He'll probably get, you know, a couple of weeks to do his thing. But if he struggles, you know, a couple of weeks into the season, I do think at that point, that's when you're going to start to, you know, perhaps see Lieber Hayek, oh, unfortunately, damn. make his way into it. Or maybe if Matthew Robertson does really well in the AHL, maybe you see him get called up and play stuff like that. Um, but, but to answer your question, it's the Rangers and Gallant have shown they do like the pairing of offensive guy with defensive guy. So I think that's why I think they view Jones and Schneider as a nice complementary pair. And as long as you shelter them a bit, you know, they could be successful. Yeah. So just going back to Nils Lundqvist, um, obviously there's been a pattern with the Rangers organization of prospects wanting out. Do you think like, do you think each one had their own situation or is there, you know, a pattern here with the Rangers organization having problems? Both. I think, you know, each one had their own situation, but there is a bit of a pattern. I would say with Lundqvist, I don't blame the Rangers as much as with some of the other ones. Um, Claude Lemieux is uh, Lundqvist's agent, and he's pretty notorious for being an asshole. I mean, look at his son, right? <laughs> um, you know, that apple hit every branch on the way down. Um, but for, from what I've been told, those Lundqvist didn't himself didn't necessarily want to rock the boat all that much but claude lemieux really pushed him to say like listen we need to get you out of here if you want a, a real shot because of what i said before the rangers made it known that you're probably not beating out schneider on the right side for that third pair and we want and and they don't want him to play the left side you know they they do the rangers really like you know matching the handedness correctly on the on defense they want the righties on the right the lefties on the left um so it was made pretty known to Lundqvist in his camp that there, it, it wasn't that likely that he was making the team or, you know, the, the Rangers at, at a camp. And so at that point, Claude Lemieux was the one that then decided, let's push to get you out of here. Um, so for that reason, I don't blame the Rangers all that much in this situation. But with Leas Anderson, especially and everything we've known since what happened there, like that was the Rangers fault. Like, yeah, you know what? Elias me maybe wasn't perfect, but the Rangers treated that Elias Anderson terribly. And Kratsov was a 50-50, you know. Um, the Rangers knew who Kratsov was, but thought that they could treat him like any other prospect, which is stupid. Um, like, yes, it, it sounds great in a vacuum that, oh, no, treat everyone the same, this and that. Bullshit. I'm a man, you know, at, at my job, you know, in real life, like I'm a manager of managers. Like the role I am is I have six managers that report into me. My job is to manage these managers. I can tell you the quickest way to fail as a manager is to treat everyone the same. That sounds great in a vacuum or in a book. You don't do that. You have to understand where people's strengths and weaknesses are. You have to understand how to communicate properly to them and what resonates with them. And the Rangers failed on that front with Kratsov. Kratsov is he comes from pretty much a Russian oligarch family, a very rich family. He was coddled his whole life. And the Rangers thought that they could just treat him like any Joe Schmo on the roster. And then we're shocked when he picked up his ball and went home. And like, yes, you don't want Kratzoff to react that way. And you should blame Kratzoff a bit for that. But you all Rangers also deserve plenty of blame for not understanding that you can't treat him the way they treated him and expect him to just respond the way of maybe a Will Cooley would, for example. Uh, so obviously I think we were all impressed by Drury that the fact that he got a first round pick uh, for Neil Tonquist. And I believe he got a fourth, but it's conditional third. If Lundqvist gets 55 points in the next two years, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yep. yep. That's correct. 
So what do you think we could, assuming we don't trade that at the trade deadline, what do you think like type of prospect? Because I know like, you know, this draft is apparently as deep as it gets. Yeah. And, and at first I would say it's a big assumption, you know, right. that they're not going to go and trade this at the deadline. I, I, I would be pretty shocked actually if, you know, uh, the next year's draft comes along and we have both, you know, the Dallas pick and our own pick. Um, but to your point with this class, it is absolutely loaded at the top and it's deep. So with a lot of times with draft class, like it's either you have a couple like superstars at the top, but it's not that deep or it's, you know, pretty deep, but you don't have anyone big at the top this year. You have both. And so this really is a truly, truly special class. And my understanding is the way the Rangers are viewing it. It's not so much that they're necessarily viewing it as, Hey, here's who we might be able to get with this pick. It's they're viewing it as this first round pick is more valuable than other first round picks and it's for good reason and if we're talking like some kids that could be available say you know dallas will probably finish middle of the pack let's say so if, you, if you're talking about kids like late lottery or like you know early 20s and stuff that could be there there's a lot of players that there that could really you know benefit the rangers from taking in that uh area so like one kid that i love his name will smith um and it's it, yes it's it's funny that his name so is long. yeah but yeah, Will Smith, he's a center for the U.S. development program, and he's an extraordinarily cerebral player. Like I'm my bias when I'm looking at like these prospects and stuff like that is I do tend to really gravitate towards kids who seem to just think the game at a different level than other players. And that is Will Smith. Like he's an extraordinarily intelligent player, um, and, but he's also well-rounded. Like he he was one of the better players um, on the, you know, the last U.S. developmental program team. Um, he can play make. He's someone who he's got a little bit of that Panarin in him where he seems to always avoid the hit, right? Like it's like someone will line him up and he just kind of like weasels away his way out of that and never takes a big hit. He's a good skater. He's has great hands. Um, he's got a dangerous wrist shot. Um, but again, he's also a good playmaker and he's decent in the defensive zone as well. So Will Smith is someone who I could toy and the Rangers, you know. You know, obviously Chris Jury's from the developmental program. Like the Rangers, the joke I've heard from a scout is that the Rangers live in Michigan, right? Where their scouts live in Michigan, where the developmental program plays. They scout the crap out of that team. And Will Smith is someone who, again, he's a center, and everyone knows that the Rangers need centers in their pipeline. And he again, he and the Rangers like the, the cerebral type players, and he fits that bill totally. Another kid who's from the developmental program that I think has Rangers written all over him is uh you know huge it's and he's a big center named Charlie Strammel. So he's gonna be playing at Wisconsin this year. He's six foot three and like two fifteen already as an 18 year old. He is big, he is mean, he is hard hitting, but he also has a decent amount of skill as well. I mean obviously he's six three you know and heavy so he's not like a burner as a skater but he's a decent skater but he's got a heavy shot. He's a pretty smart player. He's got good hands he's uh you know, responsible in his own zone, and it's just as tough as it comes to play against. And it's like Charlie Stramble, someone that could be around, you know, say around pick 20 or so that I could totally see the Rangers going for. Um, and you know, there, there's a couple other, you know, there's other centers too that'll be available if, if you're thinking centered, like there's a kid Oliver Moore who played for the US team as well, who will be probably going in that like that the late teens, early 20 range. There's a kid named Ryan Leonard, also from the also from the US team. 
um, you know, a little bit higher on the list. Like, you know, you have players like Nate Danielson or Riley Height who are playing in Canada, uh, both in the WHL and the Rangers have shown a proclivity of late to draft from the WHL. Um, so it's a long story short is to your point, if the Rangers keep both picks and what, and, and they are picking, you know, mid to late teens or early twenties, there is a bunch of really high end centers that they can be taking in this draft that had they been last year's draft class, they probably would have been, you know, borderline top 10. Interesting. I mean, this draft seems to be where the type of draft where you really cannot be like the Islanders and just throw your 13th pick for Alexander Romanov. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's exactly the way this that. draft is. Yeah. You can't just do that to this draft. I mean, it, you look at in general this year, I look at a team like, you know, a Kraken who got right. And I say, you stole him. Who who do you think is going to be the steal of this year's draft? I mean, the easiest answer could be Matt Vemichkov because he's, easily the second best player in this class and on a tier with Connor Bedard in terms of like that top, top super elite prospect tier, but he's Russian. And I, I think you are being naive. If you think you can ignore the fact that Russian players might drop in this class, given everything going on in the world. Um, so Matt Faye Mitchkoff is easily the second best player in the draft. And, and I say that not to discount anyone else. Cause like, Adam Fantilli, who's probably going to go third, is absolutely incredible. Like he is on pace to be Jack Eichel in terms of the impact he's making in the U.S. circuits at this age. And he is on a tier of his own at third. Like that's how good Mitchkoff is. But just because of everything going on in the world and what's going on with Russia, um, you know, Mitchkoff could fall because people are afraid, you know, to sign him given you know, whether it's, you know, he's got a couple of years left on his KHL deal and just, you know, will Russia let him go? I mean, hell, there was that story where, you know, when that pros- that goalie prospect in Philly, I think, right, it was a goalie prospect that wanted to come over and Russia's response was to like, in essence, kidnap him and throw him into the army. And so they're, you know, the Russian prospects are, are the ones this year that absolutely could fall. Um, you know, a couple other guys that could, you know, definitely be like, you know, a steal in this class. Like I said, I think Adam Fantilli is absolutely phenomenal. If he drops below third, like, you know, go get him immediately. Um, there's a kid, Brandon Yeager, that, that's a center for Moose Jaw in the WHL that I think is really, really talented. And just because of the way, you know, um, you know, NHL teams tend to galaxy brain things sometimes, like I could see him dropping a bit because he is on, you know, a very talented team and he, you know, he's not quite six foot and you know, the way the NHL can get at times, if like someone's not quite, you know, isn't big or, you know, isn't six foot yet um and then you know a couple other guys that i could see um there's a kid named edward salik at uh who's a czech kid playing um but he he's you know so he's actually been rising of late so i don't think he'll necessarily uh fall but you could see him the kid matthew wood who's a right who's a winger from who's playing f- for yukon this year actually he's probably yukon's best um recruit ever perhaps but he's a canadian kid and i could see he him being someone that falls a bit because sometimes nhl's jams get cranky over you know can, canadian kids decide to go and play in the ncaa although you know empowered one number one regardless um there's a kid andrew Christ, crystal who who's a winger in the whl who you know i've seen some people have him in the top 10 some people have him more down close to 20 and he's someone that i think could you know, if he drops a bit, could absolutely be a steal as well. Um, but, you know, you started this, you know, asking, you know, in essence, who could be the Shane right here? And that answer is Matt Vay Mitchkoff because he is 
like an uber talented, like top, top tier franchise level prospect. And he could drop bass too, just because he's a Russian kid. I think at some point anyways, they're, they're going to figure something out with all these sports players in Russia. I mean, I don't think the connection will ever be there between the U S and Russia to be able to make an actual connection. I mean, they couldn't get out the best WNBA player out of Russia. They're not getting, yeah. they're not getting any random hockey prospect that they want out of Russia. I mean, it's almost like back in the nineties or late eighties where you yeah. literally had to sneak dudes out and have them, you know, in the middle of the night, take a car to, you know, a different country and then fly them out of there. It's, it's, right. it's scary. And that's what they did in uh MLB with the, uh, with the Cubans. Well, uh, and with Kaprizov, you know, Kaprizov made his way back here and the team has said like, kind of, you know, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to get him out of Russia and they've been very kind of quiet about how they actually did get him back here. Right. So well, seeing how good this this draft class looks uh, at this point, the Rangers, uh, I guess, are going to get the next best score in the, in, in the NHL. No, I'm joking. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the uh, the the fact that they went ahead and got a first round pick with Lundqvist, and the fact that we are now taking a Rangers almost Cup team to another year, you know, I. Do you feel like they're just they may want to take these picks, especially if it's such a deep class, and turn them into another player this year or you know in in the offseason? Being that they are in a cap situation, they could turn maybe some caps you know players that may be a hit to them and turn them into more value for this year. Yeah, I mean, I think they're open for business and they're and they're open to a lot of different things. I'd be pretty surprised if we have both picks coming into the draft next year. Um, if, if the team does really well. You know, this year, you know, you can assume one of them is going out the door for whoever that the hot rental is. Um, but to your point, too, with the cap situation and stuff like that, I mean, the team's going to, you know, this offseason, you got Lafreniere, you got Heedle, and you got Miller, all who need to be re-signed after this year. You'd love it for all three to absolutely kill it this year and to be amazing. But then obviously that complicates the cap situation. And so in that spot, you could see perhaps them attaching picks to get rid of a contract that maybe they need off the books in order to create the calf space to resign some of them. Um, and there also could be some hard decisions. I think Ryan Lingren's got one year left in his deal. Like I could see him being someone, you know, come this off season. Like we absolutely love him. We don't want to see him go. But again, if, if you have to make these hard decisions, if your decision is, do we, can we go long-term on Alexi Lafreniere or do we have to maybe get rid of Lingren and hope? Oh, don't say you know, that. Sammy Stern got like, <laughs> but but no but i mean you get my the, the, there's yeah. got maybe it's maybe not lingering maybe it's cried or something like that but the point is is one of these guys that's making you know what what lingering's four and a half million i think criders what seven something like one of these guys that we love as fans you know the decision might come down to you either can't sign one of your kids or you have to let you know find a way to get uh get rid of one of these, you know, veteran contracts that are, you know, four plus million dollars. They're not going to try to reconstructure that. Someone like Kreider who would want to let's say you can't reconstruct you, you can't in the not, NHL. Not yeah. Possible. NHL sucks yeah. like that. No. Not, yeah, not possible in the NHL. Um so I mean I I one name that came to my mind is Goudreau, but that's more of like I don't know what you would have to give Arizona to take that, you know, headache of a contract. Um, I mean, it, the, the AAV is not too, too terrible. It's not like you're trying to get rid of, you know, James Van Riemsdyk's contract or something like that. So, you know, I could see that being like, you know, take a second round pick and, and ship him out because he's still a good player. It's just he's overpaid. Um, but it's not like he's, you know, the 
he's done and you can't even play him or anything like that. Yeah, it's just crazy, though, like, when I think about, like, Goudreau wasn't, you know, exactly the greatest signing by Drew, like, that first offseason by Drew was horrendous, but then, like, ever since then, he's just been, like, yeah. amazing. Um, so, to wrap things up here, what what are your Rangers predictions this year? Like, how far do you think they're go? What's your surprise player? Stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it's impossible to say how far do I think they'll go just because the playoffs are such a crapshoot, you know. Right. Uh, but I think this will be a really fun and dangerous team. I think Shesterkin will continue to be one of the top three goalies in the NHL. I think Lafreniere is ready for a breakout. Um, as long as he gets the the time, the playing time he deserves, like I think we're going. Lafreniere is going to show this year why he was the number one overall pick. I think Kapokako is going to continue to develop on like the Valeri Nichushkin development line where it's slow and the offense isn't there the way you were hoping when you drafted him high, but he will prove that he's a very, very valuable player to this team. I think I said earlier, I think Kratzoff can really surprise Adam Fox continue to do his thing. I think Miller, I, mean, I think people are a little nuts where I see like people joke like, oh, Miller could be like the Norris conversation. No, he can't. I, I love Keandre Miller, but like that is batshit crazy saying that he's going to be in the Norris conversation. But I think that barring injury, if this team can continue to build off of what they did last year, they can absolutely be, you know, first or second in the division in the regular season. And then come playoffs again, like who, who knows, you know, once the playoffs come, just it's, it's such a crapshoot. But when you got Shesterkin, you got the top talent this team has, you have the depth this team has, like no one's going to want to play them in the playoffs. All right. Um, yeah, no, I kind of agree with that. Yeah. The, the playoffs are, NHL is the most one of the most unpredictable, you know, tournaments. Uh, you know, yeah. So, so it's very rare in the NHL where, like last year, where the best team actually wins. Like Colorado was the best team last year, and they won. That's extraordinarily rare in the NHL. Right, it's not yeah, the no, NBA where the best team generally wins. Yeah, I like. I I had a conversation with my friend like the other day. He's like, basketball is like. Uh, he asked me, "Why don't you like basketball?" I'm like, "It's like I don't know anymore. I don't really follow basketball that much. It's just for me, it was so predictable." of how things go but while hockey it's like there's more fun there's more it's more intriguing because you never know what's going to happen that's that's only recently though i mean in general i, I love basketball so i love, I love both yeah. it's only been right. recently where they made these like power teams and you have guys like curry who are just absolutely but even then with basketball like you had lebron james getting schooled by the fucking depth players on the mavericks like in that I one that to, like i compare that's like mcdavid Losing. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's the same thing. You have a great player on a team, but if you're missing holes in some key spots, you're not winning anything. Yeah, I mean, the big difference in basketball is one player is just so much more impactful. Like a LeBron James is like having you know an elite quarterback in the NFL, where it's like you know in the NBA because you have five dudes and most of those you know your starting five guys play you know 35 minutes a game. Like one guy can make so much more of an impact, but. You know, uh, you know, point is, is like, yes, the NHL is a crapshoot, but to your question, I, I think that the Rangers will be a ton of fun this year. And, and that's really the bottom line. And just, let's just, you know, fingers crossed, they stay healthy. And if they stay healthy and, you know, everything goes according to plan, this can be a really, really dangerous team come playoff time. So one thing before we wrap it up here, um, if you can't explain it now, you just send me a text, but one thing I wanted to know how to, do is the hockey stat cards how the hell do you yeah. read those <laughs> yeah so you're talking about like the game score yeah stat the game cards? scores like you you uh 
retweet that every single game after. I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna try to figure that out. And I'm so, like two seconds after, like, nope. The reason I like game score is it's actually easy to figure out, relatively speaking. So when you're looking at like the charts from like Evolving Wild or from like some of the big like analytics guys, those are often like, you know, like war models, which are like complicated and you know heavy regression analysis and stuff like that involved. Game score is a model that anyone who's passed ninth grade math can understand. Uh-huh. It's simply a, it, it's a weighted, it's you take individual stats that everyone knows, scoring a goal, make getting an assist, making a hit, being on the ice for a goal, creating a scoring chance, and you assign a weight to that. You know, the weight being, you know, how important is that stat? So obviously scoring a goal that has the highest weighting in the game score model, throwing a hit has one of the least, you know, highest weightings but there's also um you know penalties taken and drawn again assists shot attempts uh not shot attempts anymore um you know expect the goals so um scoring chances stuff like that and you just you assign weights to these individual things and just add it all up and that's your game score at the end of the day by it's definitely not a perfect stat you know obviously um you know if you, you can have a shit game and score a goal and get an assist and you have really high game score it's definitely a little bit too heavily weighted to production but that's all game score is game score is assigning importance weightings to individual stats that everyone knows and recognizes are important. And then you add it all up after game and boom, that's your game score. So and it's like so the, 0.5 is what? Like it's 0.51, 1.5 one is what? Like goal, like expected goal. What is that? Yeah, no, like again, it's it, so it's, I'm not going to necessarily, it's, it's not too important, like what the individual weights are in each individual category but again it's you know it's goals assists scoring chances which you know in the models expected goals hits penalties drawn penalties taken face-offs won face-offs lost and and a couple other things in there and the way it works in, in terms of how it shakes out is if you have a game score of about you know one that's a good game uh Zero, it, 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 the way really the way it shakes out is from like zero to like 0.4 it's like eh, you, you were okay from 0.4 to to one was a decent game. One to like 1.5 was a good game. 1.5 to about two was a really good game. Anything about two was a great game. If you get above three, it was an elite game. Um, on the negative side, you know, zero is a pretty poor game. Anything in the negatives is pretty poor. But if you're below like 0. 0.5, 0. 0.6, you had a really bad game. Uh, when you look at the stats last year, I think like the best game score for any player in a single game was like eight. I think like Mason Marchment had a game for Florida where it's like he had two goals, three assists. He was on the ice for like six goals, four, and he had like an eight game score. On the negative side, uh, this defenseman from Columbus was the worst where he had like a negative seven or something like Jack that. Johnson? Because was, yeah. No, it wasn't Jack Johnson. Uh-huh. Um, it was, uh, but it was, you know, he was on the goal on the ice for a bunch of goals against and took a couple penalties and this and that. But again, all all game score is, is taking individual stats that everyone knows and understands and just assigning importance weightings to it. And so it's a fairly intuitive stat. Whereas when you're looking at, you know, it's like war, you know, GAR, which is like goals above replacement, which, you know, hockey's version of war and stuff like like that, that involves much more complicated models and stuff like that. Um, So it's a little bit harder to understand. Um, But, and then like expected goals, which I mentioned before, like that's also fairly intuitive too, where, yeah, you know, all expected goals is 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 waiting. How likely is this shot to be a goal? And then you add that up across the game. Um, private data though is much better than public data. So public data. So any of the models you see that are on any website that anyone can access, that's public data, right? 
And so what th- how those work is it's it's uh, the NHL.com. The NHL has shot location data. So everyone in every arena is not only recording you know shots, but they're recording where are these shots taken. And the way expected goals models work is it's take it's taking into account where was the shot taken and a couple other factors and saying, okay, so this is how likely it was to be a goal. And it's got from zero being not at all. It was never make, making it one being, you know, hundred percent chance of being a goal. And that's what expected goals is private data. Though, it's like when you see Steve Aliquette tweet out his stuff and, and talk about his stuff, Steve Aliquette's company can has people whose jobs it is to track all this. So not only are they taking into account where the shot was on the ice and the type of shot and stuff like that, but they're also accounting for like, was, you know, was there a pass from one side of the ice to the other before the shot? And what, what was the goalie movement? Was the game state and all this other stuff that can go into it to provide a more accurate reading of, um, you know, how likely was this to be a goal? Whereas with the public, Public data, they can't take like the pre-shot movement. So they can't take into account like what you know, what was the past that led to the shot and stuff like that. And so that's why sometimes the private data can be uh pretty different than the public data. Does Got that make it. sense? Yeah, yeah, no, it definitely does. I'm, I'm gonna have to probably I'm gonna replay. listen to this podcast again. Uh, that's what I that's what I that's what I was about to say. I'm gonna probably have to yeah. listen to these last 10 minutes, try to figure it out again. Hockey Star Monitor explained to me why like the calf, why how it grows until the trade deadline. I'm like, shoot, I totally it accumulates at the yeah, the cap accumulates on a daily basis. And so that's why that yeah. works. He spoke so to like, me like with, the with, analogy that like like you have a phone, you have minutes, right? And yeah. And the minutes, like if you don't use them all up, it goes to the next month and all that. That's it's just a- every day. It's it, it's it, you take everyone's cap hit, you divide it by however many days are, there are in the season. So every day, you know, whatever you pay that person per day, that accumulates up. And mm-hmm. so it your cap space is in essence, it's like say you know it's eighty something, you know eighty something million is the cap, whatever the hell the cap is right now. That is at the end of the year, how much you've paid out. And so every day you accumulate towards that amount. And so your cap space, the trade deadline is how much have you paid off compared to, you know, uh, you know, how much you, you're projected to the rest of the season. So, you know, in the NHL, it accumulates each day. It's not just straight up, you know, how much, you know, the contracts on, on the annual basis, you have to think of it on a daily basis for, for the cap and the, and the trade deadline. Got it. All right. I NHL think, makes things yeah. way more complicated. Okay, that needs to be is is, is the point, Why but not? um, but yeah, no hockey stat hockey stat minor uh, uh Micah is his name. Like he's an absolute saint. Go to him for anything related to uh you know uh cap wise. Feel free to come to me or Sam Stern or you know evolutions break break down. Come yeah, on. so I wanted to ask if you wanted to uh, before we end punch in your Twitter handle, what you do, you know who to follow and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. Micah hockey stat minor is the best for contract stuff. If you need prospect stuff, you know, me, Georgia Bremsky and Rich Coyle do the stuff at blue shirts breakaway. Sam Stern is also um, a complete troll on Twitter, but I love him and an absolute saint. Um, and, but yeah, now it's, I mean, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you're not already a, I handles at Drew's underscore way, D R E W S underscore way. Um, you know, I, I do my, my, the prospect stuff that I do and the analytic stuff that I do is on blueshirtsbreakaway.com. And, and above all, just always feel free to reach out to me. I, I understand when it comes to prospect stuff and analytic stuff that, um, a lot of the top guys out there can be, uh, I'm going to avoid from saying a bad word because I, I'm assuming Shragi's kid in the, in the <laughs> zoom here. Um, but you know, they, they cannot be so nice. And, and the one thing I want to be is always approachable. So I'm always happy to chat. I'm always happy to try to teach someone or answer questions, stuff like that. So please always feel, 
free to reach out to me if you have questions about analytics, about prospects, about anything in general. Um, and, and always happy to, you know, uh, engage with folks that are not uh, poopy heads, let's say, given the fact that there's a kid on the Zoom right now. <laughs> All righty. So I think we're going to end it off here. Drew, thank you so much for coming on. Happy we could finally have this uh, work. Uh, also, one thing before we go, just to the listeners, thank you so much. Finally, we reached 5,000 uh, followers on Twitter, which is solid. Oh, yeah. Which is, uh, I'm very happy with that, obviously, right now. I was very excited when that happened. So the listeners here, thank you so much for following us. We'll bring great content. Drew, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, we'll see you some other time. It was my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. Have a good night. Have a great night, Drew.